You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is my regular panel of wise and weary strategy gaming warriors, freelance writer Tom Chick. Actually, come to me last. Come to you last, but I already came yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah come back around to me. Uh, the other dudes first. The round robin. It's going to make you freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello. I'm I'm not drinking coffee. Dr. Bruce Garrick. I I like being last. I don't like Tom once again being mean to me by trying to take my spot and my stuff. And you freelance. can be you can be penultimate, Bruce. Is that okay? And freelance writer Tom Chick. I have here the manual to Sylvia, my coffee maker. I just want everyone <laughs> to know. For for this week's podcast, I dug it up. I I pulled it out here. It's a beautiful manual. It's not four color, but it does have pictures. It's in many different languages. So I brought that to the table this time. And and if anybody needs a coffee, I'll I'll do that as well. Tommy's a manual for his women. Uh, no, no, it's a copy maker. <laughs> oh, God. I, I uh, think all women need to come with a manual. Isn't that like a, <laughs> a major upgrade to Earth 1.0 we could all use? But this was a this was a lead in to our topic this week. I'm it, trying to trying to do like this sort of like polished radio show kind of shtick, and it's yeah, we're, no, we're way too rough hewn for that, I guess. No one would buy it. <laughs> yeah, today's topic is uh, manuals and documentation and strategy games and gaming in general, but pretty mostly strategy games. I don't want this to simply be a discussion of you know wasn't that a great manual but you know what makes a good manual what makes a bad one and most importantly are manuals uh, dead has the industry changed to the point where uh, it's a really good manual something you will get only with a special edition pack and I think each all each of us have had some experience in writing something for our corporate masters and you three have each written manuals is that correct. No. I believe that is correct. Julian, you've done manual writing, yeah? I, I have done manual writing, but not for a video game. I, I have written manuals for consumer electronics devices uh, and for various like, website applications and things like that. All of it ghostwritten, so don't even go try to find it. But I have, I have written manuals for like mainstream consumer electronics stuff, and it is not easy. I will tell you that. It is, it is some of the more difficult writing I find to do. And, yeah, and Bruce and I have each done one manual, I believe. Bruce, did you just do Dominions 3? I did Dominions 3. That's the manual? <laughs> I don't remember that. Are you sure? Do you have to be confused with the other Bruce Garrick? It's, it's a couple hundred pages of your life you'll never get back. Yeah, you know, no. it could have been someone ghostwriting under your name, because you do yeah. have a fairly common name. Yeah, And it possible. is one of those awesome, like, it sounds like a fake name. Nobody yeah. has a name so cool like Bruce Garrick. I mean, no, so. Exactly. That could be what's going on there. I've done one manual. Troy, you have worked on the commemorative, like, 25th anniversary edition of Civ. Like you, <laughs> that's sort of like manual writing. Oh, I yeah. Well, what I wrote for Civ Chronicles pack, that really wasn't a manual. It was a history of uh, the game. And then I just sat around and asked uh, Sid Meier and Soren Johnson leading questions so they could talk about how smart they were. Um that was really isn't manual writing. Uh, I wasn't trying to explain anything or target a particular audience for its mechanics. Now, Tom, you didn't mention the game you wrote, and that was Galactic Civilizations 2. I mean, the game manual you wrote. Right, um, right, exactly. Um, which, which was quite an experience. Uh, why didn't I, you mention uh, it? Just forgot. Yeah, yeah. I just because I was busy griefing you, Bruce. Right. That, that was why I didn't mention it. I had I had other fish to fry. 
Uh, so, so yes, my, my manual was for Galactic Civilizations 2. I'm not super proud of it. I'm happy to say, I mean, I did, I, I think I did okay. You know, Brad was a big help. Uh, but I'm really, uh, you know, I look at the, the awesome job Bruce did, and we've already patted him on the back several times on this podcast, so we don't need to keep doing that. But here I go. I'm going to anyway. You know, I look at what Bruce did with Dominions 3, and I go, wow, there's a manual. I mean, why couldn't I have done that with Galactic Civilizations 2? And I have answers well, for that. Let's, aren't really let's that dig interesting, into the meat. You say Dominions 3, then there's a manual. Let's not, let, let's not let Bruce get any goodness out of this. What is it about Dominions 3 that makes you say there's a manual other than the fact that you can kill very large rodents with it if you drop it by accident? It is good for home defense, yes. If someone breaks into your house, just grab it with both hands and whack away, and you will beat off an intruder. Done. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and keep in mind, the Dominion's Three Manual, the last 130 pages, is all stats. That's true. That is true. Uh, awesome. As it should be. Yeah. yeah. Now, Bruce, be. I have to ask, when you were writing the manual, did you ha- were you in charge of compiling those 130 pages of tables? Everything in this in that manual I did by hand. Wow! Now, you know they have these computer things that help with that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean all the stats. I mean I had to go through each uh, spell or whatever monster, and 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 I got these these sort of info dumps from the developers, and then I would have to go through and uh, um, and organize it. I mean, I had to, yeah, all all that stuff was none of that was you know pre-generated or anything like that well so so let, let me jump in with a couple like you know we you, you toss this open Troy, with like well what makes a good manual so let me let me hit the couple things about that but that manual that i think are great i think the best part is the part that bruce had nothing to do with uh which is sort of uh but i, I would guess about halfway through the manual there's sort of a, a break where there's a it, it gets to doing the world description. So the manual starts very, and I think appropriately so, with a let's jump in and start playing tutorial, which is great. God, I just said Bruce did something great again. Can we just stop that? Like, can we just make a... I, I, I can edit we'll, that out. We'll okay, get we'll to edit the point that where out. I explain how all the shortcomings of this manual that I wish I'd done differently. So we'll, you'll have plenty we'll of get to, We'll get there. But there's, there's after the excellent tutorial, which I think is critical... There is a sort of a world explanation. And one of the things about Dominions 3, which is cool, is there are so many different races or nations or whatever you want to call them to play, factions. Um, and they're all very different. They have very different flavor. And there's that center section there where uh, I don't think you actually wrote it. I think it says it's written by the one of the developers where he goes through and not only says this is what the Norse god group is and what they do and what they're good at and all that stuff. But he talks about why he put them in the game. And I think manuals need way more of that. I want design notes in my manual because I find that fascinating. Now, I understand that that makes me an audience of one and that that doesn't necessarily sell more games. But I found that part of the manual to be totally fascinating because he actually, you know, he went through the sort of the mental calculus of, well, I wanted to put in this Lovecraftian thing, but I didn't want it to, like, get out of control and unbalance everything else. And after all, how are you supposed to fight the old ones anyway? And and I loved having that after having all the rest of the manual explain the game to me. It then sort of gave me a real insight into the game. Well, I will... I, I agree that all that is awesome, and that was not written by me. And the the um, the histories the the history of this of the of all the different nations was taken basically. It's the same text that you get in the game when you click on the 
uh, when you start a nation and, and it gives you the, the, the thing there. But um, I actually had a little bit. I never, I never had a disagree. I have to say, I have to, to preface this by saying that I never ever had a disagreement with the developers, uh, Johan and Christopher, about the game, the manual. Anything I asked them for, they were like, okay, that sounds good, whatever, we'll get you that. But I, there was a little bit of coaxing. I, all this, that, every, the whole thing about the manual, the format, the everything, and I'll explain why I think a lot of it didn't work out the way I wanted to, but especially that part, that part I really, really coaxed Christopher to give me. We had sort of a back and forth about it, and he didn't really – I don't know that he really saw what I was going to do with it or whether whether it was even worth doing because he had to write that from scratch. Right, and, of course. Right. And the same thing with the um, uh, the um, the designer's notes at the front, I, I, I also asked him, please, you know, please write something up for, you know, how you – how you came up with the idea of the game, how the, the history of the game development, which I thought was, it's, Troy referred to it as his favorite part of the, of the, uh, the manual at one point, I think in a blog post. But, uh, I really, really wanted to organize the, uh, the nations and the descriptions and sort of give you this idea of how the world all fit together. And that was the best way I could think of doing it. And I needed, I mean, I couldn't do it myself because I didn't make the game. I'm just the guy who made the manual. So, I mean, the credit really for that should go to Christopher who said, oh, I see kind of what you're getting at and then wrote me these little uh, descriptions. And I will actually say that I don't think Troy actually liked those descriptions. Uh, I remember having a discussion with him. He didn't really think that they added very much. So you guys can fight about that. Well, one problem that with manuals, and I wonder if this is the case, Bruce, with uh, Dominions 3, I'm almost certain it is, uh, strategy games in particular, and, and real-time strategy games as well, uh, they, they change quite a bit over the course of being released and being patched and being rebalanced and having new races Let's put say, in. Just the balancing issues. I mean, certainly if you're going to do something like put stats in, that's a bold move. So it seems <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so it seems like that's uh, one of the drawbacks of an awesome written hard copy of a manual is it's just a matter of time before it's going to be obsolete. Uh, and I haven't played Dominions 3 in a long time, but I can imagine it's come a long way. Uh, do you have a sense for, like, do you sort of feel like all those tables and whatnot have been rendered obsolete? I think that it was important to sort of lay out the fact that the stuff in the game actually had numbers associated with it, and things happened sort of quantitatively for a reason because I think there was a lot of frustration by strategy gamers, not so much role-playing gamers, who played Dominions, who couldn't figure out how various things worked, and there was a lot of trial and error involved. And so I think part of the whole thing that I wanted to do with the manual for Dominions 3, I want to talk about the frustration of Dominions 2, that with for Dominions 3, I wanted to make it clear that, you know, this spell does this, and it does it, you know, with this strength and this range and this duration, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I think I think Tom's point about that being perhaps something you couldn't get away with in the modern age of strategy games is a valid one, though, because how often do those things last past the, you know, first week of a game's printing anymore? But but my point my my point is that I think that. Once you establish that these things actually have some sort of number associated with it, with it, 
with them that when that number changes, you can at least appreciate that it somehow you, you can appreciate the relationship of things to one another. You can read patch notes, you can see, but the the, the state of Dominion's two was such that I felt like it was kind of impossible to understand what anything was doing. Right. And so, yeah, if you know whatever, uh, you know, Ill Winter the spell, you know, was you know half as powerful in in the the sixth patch as it was in the first patch. That's still okay because you at least had an idea of what all the things it was that it was affecting and, you know, why and how it kind of fit into the game system and sort of laid out the game system. I don't think you could really lay out the game system without having hard stats for the spells and for the units. Um, and, yeah, sure, I mean, they've they've released, you know, there are plenty of new nations that exist that didn't exist in the, in the release version. And, uh, you know, I'm fine with that. I think that, um, I mean, if, if that's the case... Uh, then what do you say? Because I think that uh, I think that strategy guides really are the new manuals, and mm-hmm. I don't think you're ever going to see another like really big uh, manual for the reason that people want to sell strategy guides. And I think there's sort of a tacit agreement between the not even tacit. I mean, it, it, everybody makes money. Uh, the the strategy guide companies uh, sell strategy guides, and the the Publishers give them a reason to sell strategy guides because there's not really much of a manual involved. So, right. um, well, and also, yeah, and like, they make more money too. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's, assuming that's they sell the same number of copies, it's a couple bucks they're not putting in the box. Right. For me, it highlights the difference between uh, in the similarity. I mean, the, the, there's there's two different sort of issues here. One is manuals, and we all know manuals are going away. Strategy guides have sort of supplanted them. Uh, but then there's an issue of documentation, which is something separate from manuals. Yes. And if there there are ways to keep up with this, you know, when you look at something like the Civilopedia in Civilization Four, that's an excellently documented game that is evolving, that's changed, where the stats change, and that can all be reflected in the documentation, Correct. if not in the manual. Yes. Uh, and they, of course, had the luxury, you know, Dominions Three, they, they couldn't very well have a Dominionopedia, I guess. I mean, I, I suppose they, they could have, but that right, but that's a whole other programming challenge and that uh so well yeah there, i think there's there's almost no question in my mind that the best documentation these days is the stuff that's on the internet right i mean rarely is the stuff that i actually want like when i have a question about a game whatever game it is whether i you know i want to figure out you know how i'm supposed to load out my airplane in aisle two for a multiplayer mission i'm not looking for a manual because i know somebody else has already figured this out and articulated it in the best way possible and it's as simple as going to google and i'll be able to find it and just um, to right. make a, just to sort of uh, address that julian i think it's unfair to call that documentation i think of documentation as something that it's the responsibility of the person making the game to provide if i have to go to the internet to find stuff i think the game maker has failed at documenting their game uh, so while technically i agree it's documentation i don't think that I think that's sort of on that's a shortcoming of a game if you have to rely on the internet. Uh, well, a good game that, should have self-contained that, documentation. I agree that that is a great ideal, and certainly, like if I'm carrying my you know Nintendo DS around, I sort of expect that everything I need to know to play the game is sitting in the DS right there. Right, I, I kind of hope at least. Um, and, and I think we've all become very reliant, I'll speak for myself, I've become very reliant on in-game documentation, right? I, I need to be able to hit help or pause the game and go look at something, even if it's something that came in the form of a PDF, 
that the the second thing that all this doc I mean I agree completely with the do- the talk about documentation and the difference between Tom I mean that's a great point by Tom which probably is a great point by somebody else since I'm not sure it could be by Tom but somebody probably thought of it Tom googled it and then said it um, so uh, um, I think that's a great point about the difference between documentation and the manual itself but that ignores the uh, the fact that manuals have a very important second purpose, which is to give you a way to interact with the game and have something that you can sort of immerse yourself in that's not the actual gameplay. And I can you like stop it. making points I agree with? This is getting really boring. So well Tom probably doesn't agree with it because he okay, probably good. uh You've probably been paid by some kind. So what do you mean by interact with the game world or interact well, with I mean, outside of the game? And, and that's – see, this is exactly what uh, what I used to do when I was a kid, right? Because I used to I, – I'd play the game, right? And I would, I would think about all sorts of um, – I would play the game. And then there would be this whole other playing of the game, which was thinking about playing the game. And, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of – Go to school, and you, you, uh, you know, you're always thinking about all sorts of things, like you know, the baseball game you're gonna play. Uh, you know, when I played little league, you know, probably like a couple days before the game, I'd start thinking about playing the game, and then uh, whatever, all all, this, all sorts of activities in my life that I did, I would think about all the time. And when I played games, I would not only play the games, but I would think about the games, and I would think about different strategies and whatnot. And it is very, very handy and, and sort of almost a, com- a very um, – it was it was uh, just an extension of the game itself to read the manual about the game. And the best manuals were manuals that gave you some kind of hook uh, to sort of internalize that kind of develop the game that had nothing to do with the gameplay – and, um, I mean, I never played Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that, but people who played it, um, tell me that the picture on the, uh, player's handbook of the, uh, thief trying to, uh, uh, pry the jewel out of the idol, yeah. uh, while the rest of the party kind of hangs out and talks, or, uh, the picture on, uh, page 38 of the, uh, paladin fighting, uh, fighting all those demons in hell or whatever. I think it was David Trampier, uh, illustration uh all that stuff is stuff that you think about and it kind of draws you into the game at no extra charge so for me when i when i think about manuals that's an that's a really important part of what the manual should do for you it should it should make you feel like you're in the game but not actually playing and that does not include by the way um uh, fan fiction about the game or developer fiction about the game. Because that stuff I can't stand. <laughs> what that makes me think of, Bruce, is I remember those old microprose manuals, and I'm specifically thinking of the one for the original Railroad Tycoon. They would have just little details, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they were little inset boxes, almost like sidebars. Yes. Maybe yes. they literally were sidebars about yes. the history of railroading and what Love locomotives did what. Yeah, that's and, all and all of that had nothing to do with gameplay, Correct. and it wasn't like a big clot of backstory it was just peppered throughout the manual and it was a great way to just sort of kickstart my imagination into wanting to play without even having the the game booted up in front of me it's sort of like a cloth map but for more literate people 
<laughs> well, it is, but but I think some of what's replaced that is there is this expectation that games have communities built around them, so that when you're sitting at work, you can sort of interact with your game world. I mean, certainly if you look at something like World of Warcraft, people spend at least as much time talking about World of Warcraft and reading about World of Warcraft than they do playing it because they do that while they're at work, right? Uh, I I don't know about that because I don't think I have done any game related anything at work except for work. So I don't really quite get that whole. Yeah, but you're a doctor. The rest of us like are totally phoning it in, you know. (laughs) Well, no, but here's 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 my point. Are people really like getting involved in the world of Warcraft by talking about? I mean, do you really get the same thing out of um, out of whatever about out of the World of Warcraft forums about World of Warcraft that you would out of a you know? Good World of Warcraft. No, no, no. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a successful replacement, but I think that for to a large extent, that is what has replaced those kinds of experiences. Right? That that people get that sort of uh, vicarious experience of their game less out of a well written manual that they can put on the bedstand and more out of sort of surfing about it and talking. Well, about Well, that's a chicken and egg thing, Julian. Is that because developers don't make manuals, or developers not make manuals because people are going to the internet? I mean, I think I, making no, a good I, manual is no, an entirely viable think... way to sort of feed that. That extra game experience, that experience. No, no I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying and it's either or at all. Um, but but I do think that um, I mean, particularly when you look at things like you know extensive writing about world settings and things like that, you very often only find that stuff like on the game's website, not in any manual, not in something that's in game. I mean, I think that's that's increasingly common, particularly in big complex games. Yeah. Well, I mean. I can see, I can see how that would would sort of. I mean, the point is to the point is to to interact with the game without uh, without having to play the game and right. do it in some you know right. So I I mean I agree with you I agree with you there, but uh, I don't know maybe it's just a different way that I experienced gaming when I was younger than I that I don't experience it now. I mean I would love I mean just just like Tom said, I love flipping through manuals and and just kind of reading the little I have a whole article that I haven't ever I think Tom has read it because I was going to have him post on quarter to three, but quarter to three became it doesn't have a have a front page of articles anymore. Uh that uh talked about, you know, everything I learned about history I I learned from the designer's notes. And when I played board games, uh like especially uh, historical board war games. I lo- the first thing I did was I would open the box, I would take out the rule book, and I would flip to the back, and I would read the whole designer's notes thing about why the designers did what they did with the game. And I, I that's the, that's the, that's the part of the the game that was my favorite. Yep, I, I totally were, totally get yeah. that. And there were designer's notes that I memorized because I just thought they were so great about how they talked about making, you know, how they took the. The, the the what was known about the battle and and, and translated it and they, they would have a little historical sort of vignettes and there was a <clears throat> the, the great company um, right now is GMT Games they have done a wonderful job of integrating that kind of information into the actual rule book which is what they do they take they have little insets and it'll say something like you know uh, uh, Vietnamese uh, North Vietnamese uh, missiles were um, uh, easily detected upon launch uh, at low altitude, so planes at higher altitude had a better chance of evading, you know, using whatever countermeasures. 
And then right below that would be the rules for, you know, firing missiles and evading them. And they do that. That's that's particularly that example is from the from the game downtown. But uh, uh, in pretty much most of their games, they have they've really perfected the idea of take historical uh, take historical fact or you know mechanic that the game is trying to model, put it in plain English like a historical statement, and then below it give all the case uh, case law. Uh, about how that is dealt with in the game. I think it's fantastic. And uh, uh, it's something that, that really, I mean, to, for me, that kind of replaces the designer's notes a little bit because uh, you, you really don't get as extensive designer's notes anymore. Right. I mean, I think this is, a lot of this is, I think, a dying breed. I mean, not, not to sound like an old man, but I mean, it, it is pretty rare we get that kind of insight as part of the game, as like a constructed experience for the player anymore. Well, it's also the changing face of the video game industry, because I think there aren't a lot of... Many many games these days can't sustain that, that level of documentation. You know, like, how are you going to do that with a Halo, for instance? Uh, how you, I, I guess we're, we're straying far afield from strategy games here, but I, I think that's part of the changing face of the industry. And the well, kinds okay, of now let me, give you, let me give you an example of a game that desperately needed this and got none of it. One of my favorite games of the last couple of years, Sins of the Solar Empire, right? Brilliant strategy game. Played the crap out of it. And I want, I wanted so much from that in terms of documentation and a manual and backstory. And there's so much going on there that could have been really well articulated and richly described, not just to make you a better player of the game, but to help you appreciate the world more. And that game shipped essentially with nothing. And that was criminal in my mind. And that's a that's a Stardock failing. I mean, the same can be said of Demigod. Uh, yep, I think absolutely. There's nothing. If, if they do that to Elemental, then that's a crime because that's exactly the kind of game that has to happen. I mean, it would it would it would so much it would enhance the game so much to have part of the game sort of uh, uh, background and development in an external source like a manual. But of course, you, what you know. And you know what else it would do, too? Uh, I mean, I'm going to appeal to uh, a publisher's pocketbook here. I think if you offer the, the, the kinds of people who play Elemental, if you offer them the added value of a great manual, some offline hard copy product that you only get when you buy the game, I wonder if the cost of creating this manual would then offset whatever losses they might suffer due to piracy. You know, like that does a good manual provide really an incentive to buy the game instead of pirate it to, to some people. I don't know according if that's the case, but I'm throwing that out there. According to Shrapnel Games, according to Shrapnel Games, the number one search that they get on their website is Dominion's three manual. <laughs> Seriously, there you go. I get, I get a lot of those hits too. People looking yeah. for it in Flash or Steel. They're looking for a manual because they pirated the game, but they have no idea how to play it because the game is so you know opaque. Uh, in terms of exactly what I was trying to put in the manual is the numbers and how it works that uh, you know they are they are left looking for the manual and of course it's that's unavailable electronically and, and shrapnel has always been very um, very um, adamant about not putting right. uh, manuals electronic versions of the manuals in, in, in the game right right 
Um, not that we advocate right. o- opaque game design in the industry. Right, but I mean, I think the flip pirate. side of that, though, is that that is fighting against the direction of the industry, which is increasingly towards downloaded games. I mean, I never buy a physical game if I can avoid it. I, mean, I didn't buy a physical copy of The Sims 3. I mean, why in the world would I? Would I get a disc that I yeah. somewhere? Why would you buy The Sims 3 in the first place is the question. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are missing. The Sims 3 has an awesome. Let me see. The manual for The Sims 3, I'm looking at it here. What, five pages? It is 24, 26, 27 pages. You know what? 26, because those are performance tips. Those don't count. Uh, yeah, 26 good. So, yeah, you know what? 25. The installing the game page doesn't count either. So you've got 25 pages of stuff. It tells about, you what the it's icons about, it's about are. about three paragraphs per page or something. Yeah, it's poorly written. It's got a lot of screenshots, black and white, of course, on the cheap. And is and doesn't ship when you download it, by the way. Like if you go to There's your, no like, PDF for the manual. I'm sure that I could find it. It might be installed on my machine somewhere, but it's certainly not linked in the game at all. And if you go to like your start menu, there's no link to it, right? So it, <laughs> but it, I don't mean to be is, is the Sims, the the kind, Sims is the Sims kind of a game that even needs a manual though. Well, no? yes, yes. I would say well, I don't yeah, I would say yes, Troy. It definitely needs Absolutely. documentation. I don't think I bought a, I bought a strategy Sims guide for Sims 2 because I wanted it. to understand how all the different things affected, you know, stats and all that. I think I think Tom's right about the documentation part of it. I think I think The Sims 3 is a game that probably doesn't need to create a Sims 3 world since you're really creating it when you play the game. Um, I want to just to go back to the Dominion's 3 manual just because I really want to get in the things that I I think I totally failed on. Um, Great. And that, and then I want to Tom. Then I want Tom to speak of his failures as a manual writer. Well, so I, I'll I'll get him started because there are so many things in the in the Dominion's Three Manual that I, I wish I had done differently and better. Well, I, not did differently, just things that aren't in there that I wish uh, were in there. And most of it has to do with stuff that was kind of beyond my control. One of the things that I asked uh, Christopher, who illustrates the um, well, he's the artist for for the, the artist part of the Dominion's team. Uh, Johan is the programmer. I want. I really, really wanted him to do drawings for the different sections, and I didn't really want much. I just wanted line drawings, like for the for the magic section, you know, some kind of you know uh, guy doing you know magical research, and for the pretender section, sort of a line drawing of of you know some some pretender type uh, thing, and and for um, you know for just just all sorts of little little pieces that you could sort of get attached to and kind of that would hook those various sections. And, um, you know, in, to, to Christopher, I, I don't mean to criticize him in any way because, I mean, he was making the game and he didn't have time to do that kind of stuff. And I don't know how much, you know, freehand illustration he does anyway. Um, he does the, all the stuff with, you know, the, the, the war, artwork that he does. He does uh, on the computer in the game. And then when I, I, when I thought about sort of just ripping images out of the game, I saw how it was going to be reproduced, and it just wasn't going to look good. Uh, I really, really needed line drawings, and uh, that wasn't going to happen, so it didn't happen. And what I tried to do instead was I tried to throw in these little um, these little blurbs where uh, I took, I had um, Christopher send me, you know, the, the best um, high-res, uh, you know, pixel drawing of a creature that he could find, you know, he found his favorite ones, 
and then uh, just put the text in the, the descriptive text for that for that monster, and uh, or you know for whatever it was, and uh, um, you know it, it was kind of I really don't think it, wor- it worked at all in the way it's way too disjointed. They're not nearly enough of them. I wanted to have a whole bunch of things. There were there are these. Um, if you don't play Dominions three, which you should be. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast and not playing Dominions three. Um, if you play Dominions three, uh, nations have all these different um, uh, heroes that can appear, and I just wanted some, you know, further uh, explanation of the backstory. And I hate I'm embarrassed that I'm saying backstory, but yes, I wanted more uh, development of the backstory behind some of these heroes because some of them are just so clever and and funny and and well done I, I think christopher does a great job of of uh sort of building the dominions world and i just wanted to, to to flesh it out more and i thought it would be great if the only place you could find that would be in the manual and of course you know two seconds after the manual came out somebody would repost all that stuff to the forums and whatever which is fine but i just thought it would be a great way to sort of hook you into the game uh give you extra stuff, and really build the Dominions world in the manual. And unfortunately, I mean, the project, I mean, the, the, the manual, I actually pulled my copy out just to see how long it was. So it's 290-whatever, two pages, um, plus the, well, yeah, it's, I guess it's 292 pages. And um, it was just more than I could really do on my own uh in a reasonable deadline. And I was at that time, I think I was working probably, um, well, towards the end of the manuals, I think I was, I was working about 90 hours a week, not on the manual and then spending the rest of my time working on the manual, which I will plan to never do again. But, um, but I mean, it got down to the point where, um, I really learned what you need an editor for because there were so many math errors in the, uh, in the in the first version of the manual, where I would give a formula and then I would try to I tried to give examples with every thing that every meaningful formula in the game, and so many of those examples in the first printing of the manual were just wrong, because, <laughs> not because those wrong, but because I, I calculated the numbers wrong because there was so much for me to do, and I made would make a math error and I wouldn't have a chance to recheck it or I just didn't recheck it, and there was just too much editing myself was was really hard, and uh, so in, in addition to those errors, which Hopefully, you corrected most of them in the second printing of the manual, um, which Julian, you should have since you, since you got it uh, recently. Um, yeah, I think I do. Yeah. So, just the whole building the world in the game, or building the building the game world in the manual, and adding to the game world in the manual, um, I just wasn't able to do. Partly because it's not my world. I'm just the manual writer. I couldn't create new things, and I had to ask uh, Christopher to take time out of finishing the game, which was what he was doing, and, you know, write things for me. And he did a great job with, you know, giving his uh, his thoughts on how the nations were were, were developed and, and, and created. But um, there was only so much that he could do. And uh, in the end, it just ended up being, I think, too much of a hodgepodge of my uh, own making, which didn't really work out. I tried to add some, I tried to make it kind of funny, or at least, you know, write in the way that I write and then that would at least be entertaining, but I don't think it really did nearly what I wanted to do, which was have one of these old, tiny manuals. In the end, it just ended up being a lot of pages. Um, 
I don't want to make this all just entirely about dominions uh, and your dominions experience. So if you could, are there any general principles you could establish from your experience? Like what, if you're going to write a good manual, what do you need? Well, if you're going to write a good manual, you need the full and total cooperation of the developers. And in, and in ideally you want to be one of the developers so that when you, uh, when you write, you don't have to ask anybody any questions because, uh, Asking questions and getting answers back about how things work and you know what they really do uh, is incredibly time-consuming, and I think is much of the difficulty of writing a manual when you're not actually the person that made the game. So that would be the number one. I mean, you. I think you want to be part of the development team. Now, given the fact that you most often won't be, uh, I think that. Um, I think you have to be um, a good explainer, and there's a couple different things with that. I think that the way I kind of read things and the way I retain information is in narrative form. I do terribly, terribly with lists, which is why I'm not sure how I made it through medical school because memorizing list upon list of bullet points, single words that associate with other single word phrases or things like that, which is basically all medical school is sometimes – I just don't remember things that way, and I need to read things sort of narratively, and that's the way that I explain things, and that's the way I why I um, I write manual or I wrote this manual, and so to get away from this manual specifically, but you have to have a way that explains the game that corresponds to the way other people want to read about the game, and I think that in many cases. Um, People just want lists of, you know, what does what and what item has what stats, et cetera, et cetera. Where can you find it? And, you know, where do all these monsters live? And that's that's anathema to creating a game world. That's just um, that's just documentation, as Tom put it, in, 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 in written form. So I think you have to have a good sense, a good idea of what makes the game interesting. What are the hooks that, uh, that sort of players are interested in and then try to develop those things somehow um, get get information from the developers that flushes that out and then sort of just intersperse it throughout the game or th- sorry throughout the game throughout the manual in such a way that you're always running up against something or other and uh, you can't really avoid it okay we're, uh, we're already at 40 minutes here uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tom is there anything you want to how does that jive up with your uh Work on the Galactic Civilizations Two manual. I mean, was it? I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's absolutely the the big challenge of Galactic Civilizations was was getting into the head of Brad Wardell, which is not easy. Uh, <laughs> Galactic Civilizations had been around for a while. It had been through several iterations. Uh, the gameplay mechanics, uh, while they were great for what they were doing, they they definitely weren't this sort of like elegant. Uh, constantly iterated thing that like Microprose or Sid Meier would do. They had their own sort of clunky charm. And trying to suss that out by sending emails back and forth with Brad was really difficult. And I completely agree with Bruce that to do a good manual, you either need to be one of the developers or you need to be in the developer's head. Um, and God bless Brad Wardell, but he is not a guy who really excels at, at expressing himself through the written medium. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that that was sort of one of my 
problems with it is that I kind of felt like I maybe I had the skill, I, I guess. I mean, I, I, I was decent at sort of distilling things down and expressing them, but I wasn't really good at sort of prying into the game mechanics of how Galsiv 2 worked. Uh, and that, that's definitely a necessary step there. Um, One of the things that, that I've always found frustrating when constructing anything like a manual, whether it's just even like a simple, you know, user's guide or something like that, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but I find it sometimes difficult to put myself in the position of people who are not me. And maybe this just makes me bad at this and therefore I won't get any more work doing it. But, but sometimes, some things sometimes seem so intuitively obvious to me that it never occurs to me people don't get them. I mean, and like, that's so, a big uh, problem with developers doing their own manuals is they're so used to looking at their games and they so understand their game systems that it doesn't quite occur to them what things normal like, people won't get. Like where the on switch is and things like that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's what these things come down to. I mean, and that's that's. I think this gets to this distinction between documentation and 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 manual to a certain extent, which is there are some things that are just criminal if they're not explained. Like, not everybody is going to figure out how to hook their Wii up, right? <laughs> you know, that somebody some people will need a guide to do that. Um, but then when you start getting layers and layers deeper, I sometimes find it hard to imagine being the kind of person who doesn't explore and doesn't learn by exploring a system. I, I picked up, this isn't a strategy game, but this is a th- this is a classic example of a game that was made by a developer, and the de- developer has no concept for what the game looks like to someone coming to it fresh. Uh, it's Japanese, so that's part of the problem right off the bat right there. Uh, it's this Nintendo DS Japanese RPG. It's not even really an RPG. It's it's actually kind of a strategy game. Oh, you, like, you think know everything's a strategy game? No, but this one, I'm totally. This is like if you agree that uh, things like Disgaea uh, and those uh, Fire Emblem games, those are strategy games. So this is sure. like those. It's this. It's this game imported by Atlas called Knights of the Knights in the Nightmare, Knights of the Nightmare, Nightmare Night, Knights of the Nightmare. I think, uh, and it's got it's. One of the best things I can say about this game is it's unlike anything I've ever played. Uh, it has this inscrutable sort of real-time action, tactical, class-based, inventory-based combat system. Uh, and I just, I have no idea what's going on. But it ships with this beautiful, four-color, glossy, you know, full-color pictures, this beautiful manual that breaks down all the concepts and explains them one at a time. Uh, the document, if you're talking about documentation in general, in the game there are, there are a hundred little separate tutorials, but there is nothing in this game, zero, zilch, nada, no concept whatsoever of an overarching picture or how everything fits together. Uh, it's this intricate system with all these little details, and it, it takes pains to explain each detail, but says nothing about how they all fit together. Uh, it's a classic example of the developers have been playing this forever. They get it, and they figure if they just explain what each button and each number is, people can figure it out. Uh, but it's that it's that example of you know it's a bit like what you were talking about, Julian. Is you don't know what it's like when somebody's not you. Uh, so that, that that's my example for a. And that's a strategy game. I'm sticking. I'm sticking with that. Knights of the Nightmare is a strategy game. All right. Well, so you're calling everything a strategy game these days. But I agree with that. I think. I think actually, strategy has become endemic. I have here, by the way, next to my uh, my Sylvia manual, 
one of my favorite manuals. This actually reminds me a bit of what Bruce was talking about, about uh, sort of spilling out of the game world. So these games don't exist anymore. These kinds of games are dead. But one of the awesome things about these kind of games, and I'll tell you what they are in a minute, is how they would exist outside of the monitor in, in several different forms. Uh, one of the forms is in the peripherals, but another form is in the awesome manuals. And I'm sitting here right now, open in front of me. Let's see, it's a, it's a, it's got a little introductory page on the left about the Maverick AGM-65 missile. On the right, it shows all the little HUD displays for the different modes you fire it in. Uh, it's Falcon the manual 4, for Falcon right? 4.0. Yeah, and it's Falcon 4 was a binder. killer not even a Yeah. It's this beautiful binder. It's not even, uh, you know, you, you could get it in a spiral-bound form, or you could get it in a binder. And the point of both of them is that they lay open on your desk. You, you know, they're, they, they're built to be open and easily paged through while you're playing the game. Uh, and I love that, that flight simulators like that, their, their existence on that 2D plane on the manual, that was just one facet of them. They also existed in front of you in terms of like the joystick and the rudder pedals if you got into them that much. And of course you did if you were into flight sims. Or even the keyboard overlays. I miss keyboard overlays. Yeah, yeah. So flight Falcon 4.0, I will never play this again. This is I'm probably never going to ever install this, but I would never dream of getting rid of this manual right here. Uh, this manual right here is so good, it has outlasted the actual game. <laughs> Well, the flight sim manuals uh, used to be great. I mean, one of my favorite manuals is the European Air War Manual. Oh, it's, God, yeah. does an amazing job of uh, not just laying out, you know, the history of the war and the different campaigns, but better than many other manuals of the many other flight sim manuals, explained what an Immelman looked like and how to do it <laughs> and how to go into it um, and what you would use it for. Not just this type of uh, loop is called an Immelman, but this is when you want to do this. And it does a really yep. great job of laying all of that out. And uh, being flight sims that you had to amply document them uh, yeah, back in yeah. the day. There wasn't any choice. But so much of a good flight sim manual was, here's the history of the plane, uh, here's the history of the missiles, here's what they're used for. Um, there's some really, really great stuff um, in my flight sim manuals. I kind of miss them. But that no one makes games like that anymore. And no one's going to make a binder manual anymore, ever. Yeah, Don't say that. That's terrible. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, even if you look at even if you look at Flight Sim Ten, which which was brilliant. I mean, I really thought it was an excellent, excellent version of the series, and well documented as well, and well documented, but really entirely in game, right? Yep. I mean, it was yep. you know, it, and and it really walked people from being uh, what the heck is a flight sim person with a mouse to I have a keyboard and a mouse and a joystick and a rudder and a yoke and a throttle quadrant and how do I use them all and how can I fly my 747? And it really, it really documents and, and walks you through that entire process. But there's no binder for it, right? And You know the last and, game I can think of that had a binder manual? Fall from Heaven 2, the mod for uh, Civilization 4. And the reason it had a binder a manual, manual for it? Is because like I a, went, I, I printed out the PDF and I took it to Kinko's. <laughs> I'm not sure that counts. <laughs> well, it was, it was, yeah, it was third party sub created, but uh, it had a binder manual. Yeah, I'm, I'm full of, uh, I have tons of PDFs, which I could every, every Gary Grigsby game by that standard is a binder manual. Ah, here it is. Oh my God, it's right up here on my desk under a bunch of stuff. Fall from Heaven too, and I even put. Little, little. T using Post-it notes, I cut out little tabs for each of the different sections. Oh God, I'm such a geek! Look at this. 
Oh, this is awesome. Anal retentive. <laughs> no, it's 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 wanting. But this is this is coming from a man. I, I have to say, you could also find the manual for your espresso machine, so that doesn't surprise me. I did have to dig into a file cabinet for that, but this was actually right up here on my desk. Next you to had a it in a file cabinet. You had the manual for your espresso machine in a file cabinet. That speaks volumes. Well, he, 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 he just bought a new one. It's not just no, no. I only had to replace one part. Oh, that's and it's right. It's not just an espresso machine, Julian. It's Sylvia. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, they did an an amazing. Uh, they they had a fella named oh his name was like Xgen Wolf. I, I I never can keep track of these these like these mod games with all their like community members and their goofy online names. Anyway, this fella did an awesome PDF for Fall from Heaven two. Um, and he built it to be printed out. I mean, he made it to be printed out with the different sections, and it, it's full of like the icons and the pictures of the in-game art that they use. Uh, this is an example, like what Bruce did for Dominions Three, of old-school documentation, even if it wasn't a printed manual until you printed it, uh, that they don't make anymore. And so, Fall from Heaven Two has that. I encourage people download that PDF, print it out. Uh, it's awesome for the game. So. Uh what about bad manuals, bad documentation? I want to give any examples of just complete crimes against, uh, besides there just not being enough. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, this manual's, uh, is too short, but other. Well, but complete absence. I mean, I, well, that's yes. the most common thing, right? I mean, I think we were, we talked about, uh, a few Stardock games in that category. Um, but, but often, uh, you know, little indie strategy games that I fall in love with completely. You know, Dwarf Fortress basically has no main. Oh, yeah, that's probably why I've never, like, but, gotten but, into but again, that game. to some extent, I, I think developers, I mean, t- t- now we're talking about two quasi-dysfunctional brothers sitting in a room making a game together. I, I'm not expecting them to go hire somebody for a game they make no money on to go write a manual for them. But then again, you get somebody like you know Bill Harris from from uh, Dubious Qualities who writes like a brilliant tutorial for that that's like eight pages long that is by far better than anything they probably could have come up with on their own as far as a tutorial on how to play the game for the first two or three hours. And to so, Bill's credit, he also did that for Armageddon Empires. Absolutely, and and you know Armageddon Empires though had a good manual. I thought that Vic did a good job yeah. of writing. It was. It yes. has a sort of wall of text syndrome, but uh, he definitely did a good job of writing that manual. At least there was at least something there, right? Um, there, not just at least something, Julian, but something very good. He breaks down in the manual for Armageddon Empires all the game mechanics. Uh, he does enough service to sort of the game world. I, I thought Vic did a great job. Uh, that's that's a little. I, I would take issue with anyone bringing that up as, a, as an example of a poorly documented game. Um, what well, Troy? You would you would probably be with me on this. Paradox has had an interesting sort of progression with how they document their games. They yeah, were always and, and, really and, good. Go ahead, Troy. Well, I mean, it's been interesting because their their first man, the first manual for Europa Universalis. I mean, it's one, it was a great manual for getting you into the game world, but terrible for explaining anything. But Couldn't do you ex- remember what they did? Like they were really good with one particular facet of documentation. Do, do you know what I'm going to talk about here? Like the, these guys were, did an awesome job with like the in-game tooltips. Yes, and that's an important part of documentation. Is if you're playing it's the first game, and they've been getting better uh, yep. every game. And they've also been getting better with. So they've always been good with the, the tooltips. And if you haven't played those, of you listening, if you haven't played a Paradox game, their approach to tooltips. And I, I would be curious, Troy, if you think they're the first ones 
to do this. But what happens is you hold the cursor over something on the screen and it gives you a little bit of information about what it is. If you keep the cursor there, the tooltip expands with a lot more detail. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was this great way of documenting the gameplay. But what they had a problem with was sort of like that Knights of the Nightmares game I was talking about, is they didn't provide a good overview of how all the pieces fit together and, and how you should come to the game when you're new to it. But somewhere along the line, and Troy, you might know where this is, they would start hiring community members to write their manuals. Yeah, so they would do a great job with the tooltips, and they would hire someone from the community to do a good overview of how the game played. The Hearts of Iron 2 manual was the first one to be written by a beta tester, uh, by okay. a community member. Uh, I have it right here in front of me because I knew this would come up. Uh, Chris Stone uh, wrote the ah, yes, manual yes, yes. Yep. Uh, for Hearts of Iron 2. And uh, it's really hard on the eyes. Um, it's, oh, the printing, the like the, the color it's, scheme? It's really like seven-point aerial, black <laughs> on gray, and all of the headings are in like fake 1940s typewriter font. I'm sure there's a name for that, like, I don't know, the Mike Hammer font or something. And so it's, it's really hard to read, and the illustrations are poor, and the index is useless. But aside from all that, the manual itself explains the concepts much more clearly uh, than anything else outside the forum. It used to be you could not really understand the overview of the game unless you visited the forum of right, right. really any of their games. And Victoria is still poorly and terribly documented. But their in-game documentation has gotten a lot better. Uh, as well as their interface has gotten a lot better. I know you've, uh, you and I have had disagreements about how good their interfaces are. I say they've gotten better, and you say they still suck, even if they're better. And we don't, that doesn't necessarily mean we disagree with each other. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they've gotten yeah. better and still suck. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, paradoxes. I'm interested to see what they're going to be doing with Hearts of Iron three, which is going to be have better in-game documentation, but is also going to have a whole lot more stuff. And they're really in a race with themselves uh, to both add more things and make it more user accessible. Uh, the, easy, the easier they make their games to understand, the more hard stuff they throw in them, um, it seems. Except for Rome, which they went like completely in the opposite direction. But yeah, Paradox has an interesting history with their manuals and documentation. And, and I want to go back to and mention another, another one, because uh, Bruce mentioned GMT games earlier on. And my favorite manual and favorite documentation, and this is, once again, the Roman in me, is uh, the Great Battles of, of History collection, done by GMT Games and Interactive Magic. And it has all of that stuff that you love about a good, good board game manual and a good computer game manual. And the in-game documentation was also great. Um, so it's a shame that they don't do that anymore, but I'm sh- don't do computer games anymore, but I'm sure they made no money with it. Uh, do you still have copies of those, Troy? I remember those games. I have the I have the collector's edition, yeah. I have the original, like, whatever, single game things that I bought way back when. Yeah, those were great. I agree. I, I want to make sure that we don't end a, uh, a podcast on manuals without mentioning uh, probably my favorite manual of all time, uh, which is actually which actually is strategy guide. So I guess it's not really my favorite manual of all time, but it was the uh, it was a strategy guide that uh, uh, Alan Emmerich um, did for um, it was Alan Emmerich and Bruce Shelley. I'm sorry, it's my fault uh, for Civilization called what was it called Rome on Rome on six forty k a day. Yeah. Well, I don't think it was Bruce Shelley. It was Alan Emmerich and somebody else. Bruce Shelley worked on the game. 
No, I think it was Bruce Shelley. I'm looking for it. I have a copy of it. So I do too, but I it's not in the other room, so I'm not going to run out and try to find now, it. Now, what did it? Because civilization was was pretty well documented, I seem to recall. What did it have that you didn't get with the the manual and the in-game civilopedia? Well, I mean, it was really a strategy guide about how to sort of play the game, but it also had uh, was Alan Emmerich and Johnny Wilson. Oh, Johnny Wilson! Ah. God, what am I thinking? Of course, Johnny Wilson. God. I, I confuse them when they're together in a room, too. To, back before... To the podcast back, back screaming, it's Johnny Wilson, it's Johnny Wilson. Back before, <laughs> back before me, media sold themselves out. Mm. <laughs> but go ahead, Bruce. Right, Alan Emmerich and Johnny Wilson. Go so, ahead. What makes this special? Go ahead, Bruce. Edit that part out. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I, I thought that I thought it, it did a great job of doing exactly that thing where it sort of... it. it uh, um, it explained the game. It told you how to approach the game, and um, it had those little blurbs. Which actually, going back on them, I don't find them that funny. But uh, it was just—it was just another thing to when I was—I remember when I was so totally obsessed by the game Civilization, and uh, that was—it was the perfect thing um, that. Uh, I mean, it just came at along exactly the right time, and I could just sort of dig into it and experience civilization without having to boot up the game civilization. Mm. I have an article. Right. I have an article about that strategy guide somewhere on Flash of Steel, and I will link to that. Um, now, didn't Alan also later do an awesome strategy guide for one of the Moo games? I, I think he did. It was also okay. an advisor on uh, Moo yeah, Three at uh, the very beginning. Yes. But then, yeah, well, he was actually working on it, and then I think he left the project. On Moo 3? Oh, yeah, yeah because well, he, uh, there's... He was I, a designer. I remember going to see Moo 3 and having him show it to me uh, yeah. before it came then, out. So, yeah, yeah. Then, he, uh, yeah. And then but let's not talk about that. forth that. about that, which explicitly referenced uh, an interview you did on Quarter 3 with Alan Emmerich about uh, Moo 3. Yeah, that's, that's an ugly episode in strategy gaming. We should do a whole podcast on that. Oh, what, ugly, yeah. ep- <laughs> ugly episodes in strategy gaming? Well, yeah. Moo 3, yeah, we wouldn't get very <laughs> far past Moo 3. That kind of sits, sort of squats in the middle of ugly episodes in strategy gaming. It right squats there. in a field. We should also call out by name everybody who gave that a good review. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh. oh, wow. Yeah. God. Train wreck podcast coming up. You'll never work in this business again. I already don't. <laughs> Some of us do. Um,. So any final words? Any final thoughts? Yeah, next well, week, I, podcast, lead figures. How about them? <laughs> <laughs> Will they come back? <laughs> uh, the last lead figure I got was for Demigod. You get a little lead figure of the Minotaur in the collector's edition, so there you go. I'm pretty sure it was probably pewter, not lead, but that's okay. It's the Rook. Uh, Damn it, the Rook. I don't know if I got a thousand <laughs> complaints about that. And I would have rather had a good manual than a little lead figure of a minotaur. I agree too, completely with that. I would always rather have a good manual. They're 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 pretty adamant too about. Well, I don't know. We don't we don't need to go into there. But that's uh, the, what about real time strategy awesome. games? Like, can you do a good manual for a real time strategy game? I don't. Age of, Age of Age of Empires did, but Rage, but uh, you know that was when real time strategy games were you know new. Right. They had to really explain a whole lot of stuff. Now it's the standard form. It's like explaining a shooter. Does a shooter need a good manual? No, because everyone who plays a shooter knows what a shooter does. Just yeah, point the yeah. gun and move in the right way. Um, Total Annihilation didn't have a good manual, but it was. Oh a God! Manual. Wow. Yeah. 
So I recently replayed uh, Sacrifice with a friend of mine, which is a 2001 real-time strategy game, I think. Um, And we were fumbling around for a little bit trying to figure because it this was sort of this predated like in-game tooltips so you're playing sacrifice and you're summoning your little creatures and you have no idea what they do because there's no tooltip of course so you go to the manual and it's all flavor text for the creatures it doesn't really tell you like what they do um so that was a terrible man awesome game i loved that game that that, that will always be and it holds up very well um but i think it has a bad manual it didn't even come with a chart or anything you know what? Maybe it did, and I lost the chart. No, that can't be. I would never lose a chart. I still have my awesome fold-out sheet for the Tech Tree and Alpha Centauri. If there was a chart so in, in Sacrifice, I would still have it. I'm so uh, jealous. Yeah, and you can't have it. You can come over to my house and look at it, and I'll make you a coffee, but you cannot have my Tech Tree for Alpha Centauri. Sorry. How, I, was in, I was in L.A. two weeks ago. You didn't give me a coffee. Well, that's because I didn't bring Sylvia to the convention center at E3, so... She's, she's, she's carried she's around a little bit. Don't yeah. Don't tell. She's a little bit heavy. Sylvia. <laughs> oh, All right. Um, any thoughts on next week's topic? Uh, no tease for next week's topic. Uh, we still have to work that out, and we'll have to assign the homework to the guys. Uh, if you have any suggestions for manuals we've missed, or please let me know. Fill the comment box here, and there's usually a thread on a quarter to three. Uh, if Tom will let you post. Maybe you can comment there. Thanks for listening. Remember, we're on iTunes. Please rate us and review us there so we know what we're doing wrong. So far, only like four reviews and 13 ratings, and I know more of you are listening. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, goodbye everyone. Good luck. Good luck. Put that knife in you. Take a little bit of light oh, from you. Am I frightening you? Shall I continue? I put the gun to you. I let it-